This is Mike Levitt. Our nation is faced with two very important, but sometimes competing priorities. We have a duty to provide the best possible healthcare for every patient, but we must also remain competitive in a global marketplace. That's what value-based care is all about. Our challenge is to create a uniquely American system of healthcare. Truly, we're in a race to make value work. Welcome to The Race to Value, a weekly podcast hosted by Dr. Eric Cleaver and Daniel Chipping of the Institute for Advancing Health Value. The Institute is a nonprofit organization focused on accelerating the industry to succeed in health value. Join Eric and Daniel as they engage the executives, clinicians, and entrepreneurs who are leading this race to value. Race to Value listeners, this week is National Nurses Week, and it's a time to honor the contributions and sacrifices of nurses who perform some of the most difficult and heartbreaking tasks in the medical world. As workers who perform the most essential healthcare tasks, nurses serve as the first point of contact for most patients, and they save lives and restore health in the process. Yet nursing is often a thankless profession that's underappreciated and experiences high levels of burnout and moral injury. And there are a multitude of factors related to societal attitudes towards the nursing profession, and many of them result in a lack of recognition and support, inadequate compensation, limited opportunities for career advancement, and ultimately a lack of respect and appreciation for the work they do. And we must begin to think about how to better position the nursing profession to take the leading role in healthcare innovation. Nurses must become empowered as we transition to a future of value-based care. Listeners, this week on our podcast, we are so honored to be interviewing Rebecca Love. She's an experienced and passionate nurse executive, the first nurse featured on TED.com and part of the first nurse panel at South by Southwest. Rebecca is a regular contributor on the Forbes Business Council, and she's been featured in BBC, Fortune, Becker's, Forbes, Chief Healthcare Executive Magazine, and ABC News. Rebecca was the first director of nurse innovation and entrepreneurship in the United States at Northeastern School of Nursing, the founding initiative in the country designed to empower nurses as innovators and entrepreneurs, where she founded the Nurse Hackathon, a movement that's led to transformational change in the nursing profession. In early 2019, Rebecca, along with a group of leading nurses in the world, founded and is now President Emeritus of SANCL, the Society of Nurse Scientists, Innovators, Entrepreneurs, and Leaders. It's a nonprofit that quickly attained recognition by the United Nations as an affiliated member to the UN. Rebecca is a world-renowned nurse entrepreneur and currently serves as the Chief Clinical Officer of IntelliCare. Well, Dan, as I think about the importance of nurse innovation and value-based care, I can think of no one better to speak to this than Rebecca. She's passionate about empowering nurses and creating communities to help nurses innovate, create, collaborate, and starting their own businesses and inventions to transform healthcare. Let's now hear from Rebecca Love as she joins us this week in the Race to Value. And if you like this content, please make sure to subscribe to our newsletter at racetovalue.org slash newsletter and go to the Apple Podcast. We'd love a review and a rating if you're so inclined. So Race to Value listeners, you're now about to hear from one of the foremost leaders in nurse-led innovation. Listen with an open mind and an open heart. This conversation is one that will completely change how you feel about the future of our American healthcare system. Rebecca, welcome to the Race to Value and happy Nurses Week. It is such an honor to have you on the podcast to discuss nurse innovation and the future of healthcare. Eric, Dan, thank you so much for having me. It's going to be a great conversation. I mean, we couldn't be talking about it at a better time. Yeah, I agree. And let's just jump straight into the heart of what is on the minds of many people in our industry right now. How do we better position the nursing profession and the value-based care movement? Nurses are so pivotal in leading change in our industry to shift from volume to value-based care, 
The delivery of healthcare services must be redesigned to support team-based care, and nurses will need to be able to practice to the full scope of their education and training, and nurses at all levels will need to fully utilize electronic data and health information and communication technologies. And nurse-led innovation is crucial in transforming healthcare, and it's irrefutable how indispensable nurses are in developing innovative solutions that improve patient outcomes, enhance the patient experience, and reduce overall healthcare costs. Yet we continue to undervalue and underappreciate the nursing profession, especially as leaders in healthcare transformation. And as, as a nurse, being empathetic, kind, being knowledgeable and flexible, that's something that is built in from the start. And these are also qualities that are the foundation of transformational leadership, yet the current model of big business healthcare doesn't fully empower the voice of nurses. And we have to address this problem instead of just ignoring what's happening. So Rebecca, as, as we start our conversation today, I wanted to get your perspective on how we can better empower the nursing profession so they can lead value-based healthcare transformation. And will we ever get to a point where nurses are able to use their inner voice to become a force for much needed change in our industry? This is like music to my ears. Like I, I'm really impressed to hear that. It's nice to first talk with some uh, nurse, what we would say advocates for the profession, because the truth is I you sort of hit it on the head. There, There is going to be no healthcare without nurses. The truth is, is that I think to your point, like if we want to move to value-based care, which means that we're looking at outcomes as opposed to fee-for-service on just process-oriented paying for an intervention, not looking at does it actually drive better outcomes, value-based care is absolutely the future of where the world wants to end up. The one challenge that we have with the value-based care model that I don't think is going to save nursing is that, unfortunately, value-based care only tracks back outcomes based on what we refer to as NPI numbers, which are national provider identifiers. So you can actually track back who is delivering the care that's driving the outcomes. Now, nurses don't have an NPI number. And this means that all of the metrics in the delivery of care that nurses deliver in these team-based approaches, we'll go back to the room. And this has been a fundamental flaw in everything in our current reimbursement model to value-based care that we must address to better elevate nursing. Because right now, and even in the value-based care model, nurses remain the only profession that will be a cost to healthcare. And what I mean by that is nurses were rolled into the room rates in the 1930s with the establishment of modern day insurance models when physicians and hospital administrators were male and they were threatened by the growing financial independence of women that were nurses who were billing for their services. And they looked to models in the 1930s when insurance was developed and they turned to hotels and they said maids were rolled into room rates and they rolled nurses into room rates and forever put nurses as a cost to healthcare systems. And for the last 100 years, Nurses are the only healthcare professional, MRI, techs, OT, PT, respiratory therapists, physicians, all of them have an NPI number that allows for a billable service or a trackable service. Only nurses are the ones that are hidden from all value in healthcare and are squarely a cost. And I think, unfortunately, value-based care cannot be fully amplified or absorbed or adopted until we address the lack of an NPI number for nurses that needs to be established so that this team-based model and actual tracking to nursing can actually show that they are a value and not a cost to this entire model. Rebecca, wow, what a great start. Thank you for stating such a strong position on that issue. And, and what infuriates me in particular is there's this dislocation between executive compensation and nurse compensation to add on to the problems that you've been describing. And there's a disturbing evidence that hospital executive pay is not meaningfully linked to either patient safety or to the charitable mission of nonprofit hospitals. And we're seeing issues of pay inequity with nonprofit hospital CEOs making on average 10 times the rate of nurses. And this salary disparity, it can be a source of frustration for many nurses who are often working long hours and facing difficult working conditions. And, and some argue that it's really unfair for executives to earn such high salaries while nurses struggle to make ends meet. 
And as we think about innovation in the healthcare industry, I'd love to see compensation for both executives and clinicians tied to patient outcomes. Aligning financial interests with what is best for patients is truly at the heart of value-based care. And for nurses, it seems like there must be a better compensation model that can be developed where nursing services are not only recognized, but they're paid for in relation to the value that they bring to the care paradigm, instead of being built into the room rate like a commodity, as you've just described. And I'd love to get your thoughts on the current pay inequities that we're seeing, and how should we be thinking about nursing compensation in the future of value-based care delivery? And will giving nurses NPI numbers be a way to start this off and better include them in value-based care? Man, I am so glad you brought this up because a lot of what you're referencing actually came out of the North Carolina report that was issued by Treasurer Powell when he actually investigated where did all of the money that we had given all of the nonprofit healthcare systems in North Carolina go in the course of the pandemic and before. And what he found in his study and released, which was shocking to the majority of us in healthcare, because nobody had actually followed the money because we had basically bailed out hospital systems during the pandemic. So nobody could figure out why are they in such bad financial situations today? And a lot of that, as you just said rightly, was said that, you know what, they couldn't afford the labor cost of nurses. So they decided they were going to study this because what happened in North Carolina was Novant Healthcare System specifically started seeing that their emergency room wait times were going up to 19, 24 hours. Patients were calling to say patients were actually dying in the hallways in the emergency room. So the treasurer Powell went in and investigated and they had stopped hiring nurses or replacing nurses. So he actually pulled all Medicaid funding from that hospital system. And suddenly millions of dollars appeared to rehire nurses at Novant, which triggered him to start investigating where did the $1.75 billion that had been given into North Carolina's hospital systems over the course of the last 10 years go. And to your point, what he found out was of all that money, CEO pay doubled in pay in five years' time. $1.75 billion of all the billions of dollars that had been given to the healthcare systems in North Carolina had gone to increasing executive pay. Different than as a double CEO pay in the course of five years, what they found is that nurses pay over the course of the last decade had only gone up 12 to 14%, which means every year a nurse had only had an increase of salary of 1.4% over a decade where CEO pay had doubled in less than five years. So to your point, they found out on that study that actually CEO compensation delivered less on the outcomes to patients in a way that we needed to, uh, to actually drive forward the care. And now I'm understanding is that Treasurer Powell is in talks with 19 other state treasurers to actually look at the flow of dollars and where that is going. So let's look at some of the statistics. Nursing pay on average between on the national level, the national increase in nursing pay between the years of 2011 and 2018 only increased 0.1.6% per year. That was less than half the cost of living. Now in 2020, we actually saw the largest increase in nursing salary, which went up by 3.25%. But at the if you compare that to inflation and COLA data, that increase should have been closer to 5.6%. So again, it was still less than half of the increase of what would be considered by all of their professions as a minimum need for increasing costs. And why this is important is you may be aware that in the United Kingdom, there was 100,000 nurses who went on strike, the largest strike in the history of the world of nurses. And why they striked was a study was done to show that nurses today were literally working one shift in five for free due to the lack of increases in salaries with the rise of inflation over the last 10 years. And I think you could argue, and if we studied this accordingly, a similar pattern would be established in the United States. Because the truth is, as long as nurses remain a cost to healthcare systems, any of us who run businesses know that we don't invest in costs, we cut costs, and there's a misalignment between increasing nurses because there is no associated revenue. So there's always this misalignment between needing more nurses and hiring more nurses against your cost. So we're never going to invest there. So I think one of to your last point on your question was, does an NPI number solve this? If we go 100% to value-based care, it solved this. But if we don't go to 100% value-based care, we are going to have to figure out a way to start reimbursing nurses 
for their services, unpack them from the room rate so that all of these dollars that are be giving to hospital systems aren't ending up in executive pay, but we know for certain are ending up to support the nursing workforce to make sure that our healthcare systems stay open, operational, and doing what they're supposed to do for our communities. Rebecca, here at the Race to Value, we uh, firmly believe that we're on this trajectory where it's an inevitability that we're going to have to head into 100% value-based care. And this is uh, truly an historic moment. And, you know, I can't help but think about the quote that John F. Kennedy had when he talked about in the Chinese language, you know, you have the word crisis and it's composed of two characters and one represents danger and the other is opportunity. And the opportunity really seems to be in value-based care, but inextricably linked with that is nurse-led innovation. And we have to empower nurses. But before we get to that point, we have to deal with the disheartening state of nursing right now. It's pretty grim to look at some of the stats. I mean, every year, 44% of nurses leave the profession because of fatigue and exhaustion, both physically and mentally. Currently, there's 450,000 in the nursing shortage in the U.S. as of today, and it's projected that over a million registered nurses in the U.S. will leave the workforce by 2030. As it stands globally, 13 million will be needed by 2030 to meet the world's healthcare needs. And our nursing talent pipeline is grossly ineffective in meeting the current workforce needs for nursing. And we're going to discuss the role of higher education here in a bit, but I did want to point out that 57% of new nursing graduates left the bedside after only two years of practice during the pandemic. And it's being reported now as many as 70% of new nursing graduates have left the bedside since last year. And while we have to keep up our efforts to find and train new RNs, we can't keep throwing out a bucket of water at a at a national fire. I mean, it's not about nurse recruitment. It's about retention and the nursing professions experiencing burnout at unprecedented levels due to the lack of support and often uncaring leadership that helps them navigate a lot of the ethical dilemmas that happen at, at the, the patient bedside and this burnout eventually turns into moral injury where the healthcare system actually inflicts a trauma, not unlike what one would see after fighting in a war. And what really inspires me here about value-based care innovation is that it can help us reimagine the healthcare environment and how to best care for nurses so that they can better care for patients. So Rebecca, can you speak to the current plight of nursing burnout and moral injury and what can industry do to ameliorate the immense suffering that's happening right now in the profession? Eric, I mean, those statistics are sobering and absolutely devastating, and I spend a lot of my time dealing with those statistics because nurses are the largest workforce in all of healthcare. Not, not only the largest workforce in healthcare, but they're actually the largest workforce in all of the United States. And I often stop and pause and think to myself, like, where would the world be? without nurses, if they weren't our mothers, our sisters, our aunts, our neighbors, our friends, where would the empathy go in this world? Because nurses always cross that threshold when nobody else really will. Every day they cross that threshold and they deal with diseases and viruses and bacteria that if they catch, they can risk their lives and they do so willingly with disregard for their own needs. We just jump in and we do those things because we want to alleviate suffering. And I think that what you're showing here and in these statistics, what's stark is that there is this, there is a business of healthcare that simply has treated nurses like an endless commodity. There will always be more of us. Why would we work on sustaining them when we know that we can just produce more? And, and to your point, like they they according to research by Linda Aiken, we've increased the production of nurses by 15% year over year for the last five years of graduating 250,000 nurses a year, which is the largest profession that we graduate that enters into a capitated payment model that is an hourly waged employee in healthcare, which is vastly different than any of our other colleagues. So we say that it is valuable, but we do nothing to actually keep and retain this profession who all they want to do is manage care. I left Vive a few weeks ago, which was a, one of the largest healthcare conferences that I've gone for in years. And I left that conference so 
deflated because I thought to myself, the billions of dollars that has been invested in these technology companies, that if only we had spent a quarter of that investing in nursing, we would actually have stabilized healthcare and the profession. Because what is proving out is those technologies cannot replace nurses. They cannot replace the caring and the multitude and the directiveness of the care in which they deliver, in which nurses are a jack of all trades. And actually, I would argue a master of many of the healthcare diseases that are out there in complex environments that nobody can replace. And somehow we have literally degraded them to being the catch-all and the lowest rung on healthcare delivery today. So if we want value-based care to be successful, we must stabilize the nursing workforce because value-based care is only interested in patients getting better. That what we do to patients make sure that they come out in a healthier state than they went in. And right now that is not happening in healthcare. We spend billions of dollars actually making people sicker as opposed to getting them better. So if value-based care is going to be successful, then we need to rethink everything about nursing because the outcomes are going to carefully show and the outcomes have proven when you look at ratios in California that patient outcomes are directly tied to nurse to patient ratios and the delivery of care and management of care that is delivered by nurses as the number one indicator for patient outcomes. So if we're gonna solve value-based care, then somebody is gonna to have to start looking at the nursing workforce to stabilize that because as certain as I am that if we don't stabilize nursing, that healthcare is in serious trouble, we know value-based care will certainly not survive without the nursing workforce at the heart and the center of being tracked, documented, and valued accordingly for value-based care to drive forward the mission of patient outcomes. Rebecca, let's let's stay on this topic a little bit longer and, and just think more about this underlying challenge that we have in our country is this critical shortage of nurses. And we know that 93% of nurses are experiencing staffing shortages in their hospitals. And that's a significant increase from the 59% shortage that we saw in a 2020 survey. Over the past few years, we've seen a continual decline in nursing school entrance as well due to limited space in nursing school seats. And although we still graduate those 250,000 nurses a year that you mentioned in this country, it's the largest profession that has graduated in the U.S. of all degrees. But these new graduates, as mentioned, tend not to stay at the bedside for long, with the majority leaving bedside care within two years of practice. And so we see this alarming increase of experienced nurses retiring or quitting. Half of all nurses consider leaving the profession altogether. And what's hard for me to understand is why nursing programs are turning away so many people that want to be nurses. Last year, over 90,000 qualified nursing applicants to nursing schools were turned away. And maybe that's due to lack of space, maybe other issues as well. And the, But the severity of the shortage and the negative consequences it poses for Americans' health was exposed, as we saw during the COVID-19 pandemic. But even now, colleges are not training enough candidates, whatever the reasoning comes down to, to meet the workforce need. And our Institute for Advancing Health Value is actually housed at the Levitt School of Health at WGU. And we're really focused on this challenge. Last year, we produced 17% of the nation's registered nurses earning a Bachelor of Science in Nursing. And we're focused on playing even more of an outsized role in educating national nursing personnel in the years to come. Rebecca, I'd love to hear you speak to the challenges of the nursing shortage a little further, especially with the role that higher education can play to better address this problem. Well, thank you, Dan. And I think that I, I, I want to reframe um, how we define the critical shortage of nurses. There's there's definitely a critical shortage of nurses that are willing to work in healthcare environments today. There's actually more nurses in the United States today by nearly over a million than when there was even 10 years ago. But nurses are not staying, right? So we have more nurses than ever before in U.S. history but there is just a critical shortage of nurses willing to work in healthcare environments as they exist today. Everything because of not having safe staffing to the criminal prosecution of nurses that started with the Vanderbilt case of Rondon Devot, who made a medical error, which she self-reported 
and then was criminally prosecuted by the attorney general, found guilty and was facing 10 years of prison for a self-reported medical error, the collective psyche of nursing is broken because we have none of the power to change the environment in which we work in, but now we are being left criminally responsible and why that is a problem. And people say to me, well, how that's, how is that different than doctors being sued for malpractice? Doctors are sued for malpractice civilly. They are also defended by their hospital systems. What's happening in nursing, which we never thought would happen to us. We always thought it was possible if we made a mistake, we would be sued civilly, have our malpractice insurance cover that. We could lose our license and we can lose our job. But now that nurses are being criminally prosecuted for unintentional errors due to shortages of staffing in unsafe environments, and being sued criminally, which means malpractice insurance does not uh, provide any financial assistance, which we have to defend ourselves, then not only could we potentially lose our license, our job, but now go to jail for doing the best that we possibly can. This is a failure of everyone in healthcare who has not stood up and asked for indemnification of nurses to sit there and say, if they have made a self-reported medical error, there was no intent involved in harm or injury to a patient. Us criminally prosecuting nurses is wrong. And ever since that case in March 2022, we have seen one in three bedside nurses leave the professions since that time. And nobody is addressing it on the national stage. So until we address, and, I, and just to let you know, if we think that this problem went away, the Attorney General of Ohio prosecuted 106 nursing home staff, nurses and CNAs in 2022 alone, criminally for mistakes that happened in long-term care, not prosecuting a single owner of a nursing home facility for the failures of providing safe staffing in those institutions. So this collective psyche and holding nurses criminally responsible for all the failures in healthcare is what is driving the critical shortage, in my opinion, of nursing. But if we want to talk about education, nursing school education is one of the most costly forms of education to produce at institutions because of the large clinical component within that education. Finding both clinical placements and paying for the clinical training is highly costly. It's almost, they say, 80% more than a bachelor's degree in English to actually have a school of nursing. So a lot of schools are cutting back on that. Now, we did turn away 90,000 nurses that were qualified to enter nursing school, but we are graduating a significant portion. But the problem also was in the 1990s, there was a strong push to largely eliminate associate degree nursing and LPN nursing programs in the country that went very strong in the early 2000s, which pretty much eliminated all of the associate degree and LPN programs in the country, which said that BSN should be the only program into it, which is a very outside of WGU, in all honesty, a very costly and long entered degree. Now, what we also did at the same time was wipe out the diploma nursing programs, which used to be inherent in every single hospital system in the country that would produce these nurses. So if we want to solve for this, the reality is we need to start bringing back the diploma nurse, we need to bring back LPN programs. We need to bring back associate degree nursing programs. We need to bring back those bridge programs that then would take them up to RNs and BSNs and start creating these bridge pathways to start creating a multifaceted entry point to allow for greater diversity and people of different economic backgrounds to afford to be able to get in these programs. And more importantly, we also probably have to redesign our nursing schools to make them more based on education that focuses on experiential learning because the BSN program has become so focused on theory that when these students graduate, they are not ready for the working environment in which they are graduating. So the reality is, is I think there's a lot of things that we need to do around education, but one of the most important is most of the chief nursing officers in the United States and healthcare systems today say that nursing students that are graduating today are not clinically competent to be able to work at the bedside. And that is why we're seeing, as Eric said earlier, nearly 70% of those who graduated with us in the last year are not practicing because they do not have the skill sets ready to prepare them to be a bedside nurse. Well, Rebecca, I really appreciate your insights on higher education and nursing. And also thanks for bringing up the 
the case of Redonda Vaught. I mean, that's that's just a horrendous uh, scenario where you see a nurse that's convicted of criminally negligent homicide and abuse of an impaired adult for a medication error. And that that tragic error resulted from everything that you talked about, you know, the crappy technology, the poor systems understaffing a system that's designed to fail and then you have a nurse that that's being singled out criminally and it's a terrible precedent for anyone working in healthcare right now and and you know right now workforce is the biggest challenge in healthcare and you know I, I can't help but think of this recent hospital CEO survey that was conducted by the American College of Healthcare Executives I mean they asked hospital CEOs what's keeping you up at night and for the first time ever, personnel shortages were the top-ranked issue, and hospitals and health systems are facing immense financial pressure right now. Many of them are you know, hemorrhaging on their bottom line. They're, they have negative operating margins, and that's mostly due to skyrocketing labor costs and staffing shortages. And they have to pursue these longer-term strategies to strengthen the, the workforce pipeline through these creative partnerships that can come about with nursing colleges. And they have to be more focused. But right now, out of sheer desperation, they're relying on nurse contract labor as a short-term fix. And consequently, as hospitals have turned to travel nurses to ease the, the staffing shortages during the pandemic, I mean, they've seen contract labor expenses rise more than 250% over the last three years. In addition, you have the workforce burnout that's costing the healthcare systems financially as well. I mean, there's researchers now that are saying that the annual burnout-related turnover in nursing specifically is $9 billion annually. And I'd love to get your thoughts on the need for leaders to think differently in this current environment, the crisis that we're in. I mean, it's clear that Rome is burning right now, and we need health system leaders to do something differently than they've done before. And, and they have to look at the nursing profession maybe in a different way. And can you provide your perspective on how healthcare executives can navigate the current staffing crisis through nurse empowerment and innovation as the alternative reality? And is now the time for healthcare executives even to, to get out of the way and enable more nurses to serve in senior leadership roles and as governing fiduciaries on boards to reimagine and redesign healthcare delivery as we know it today? <laughs> Eric, absolutely. I mean, let's be honest. I'm less than 25% of nurses serve in executive leadership positions in healthcare systems today. And vastly, those roles are tied to CNO titles, which if without a VP title, most of them don't even have a budget, right? And many of those CNOs are now being forced to report into the chief operating officer. So really don't have any direct communication with the CEOs of those hospitals. So if they're wondering why, um, you may be having problems understanding what's going on in your hospital from the nursing perspective. If your chief nursing officer is not reporting to the CEO, that is probably one of the major reasons why. Um, in addition, less than 6% of hospitals have a nurse on their board. And the reason that, that we're probably seeing a lot of the issues is that boards decide the fiduciary responsibility or focus of a hospital system. And without having a nurse on that, we're gonna find that other priorities always come to the forefront. So if it is time for healthcare executives to be successful, and for the first time, as you said, focusing that contract or, or labor is their number one concern for their organization, the truth is, is we live in silos. And the one thing about innovation is that it is the opposite of the definition of insanity, which is to do the same thing over and over again and expect different results, which was actually termed by Einstein. So I would think that we may want to actually follow some of his advice and say, stop the insanity, start the innovation. And one of the best places to innovate is what my experience has been was with hackathons, which Many of our healthcare systems are spending millions of dollars with very high cost consulting firms, which I have a lot of great consultant friends, don't get me wrong, but basically they walk in, they take your watch, they tell you what time it is, and then you're left to still figure this out. And the reality is, is if you simply allowed yourself to trust that your frontline knows how to solve these problems, you would be blown away by what you would uncover. And in my years of building the nurse innovation movement in this country, where we started out of Northeastern, spun it out into a national, now international nonprofit called Sanciel, the experience of bringing nurses forward to identify the problems in which they're experiencing on the front lines, 
and giving them the chance to solve those problems. Not only empowered the nurses who experienced that, but it made the entire system stabilize because nurses felt seen, heard, and appreciated. And for far too long, those of us who live in the ivory tower make all of the decisions for what technology, solutions, policies, and protocols will be followed by the front line. But most of our CEOs have never even worked a 12-hour shift to understand what is the breakages, what are the bottlenecks, what are the systems that fail us constantly on the front line, that if we improved those, we would not only drive better efficiency and cost savings in healthcare systems, but we would actually drive better culture within our own institutions and better outcomes for the patients in which we serve. So healthcare executives, if they want to navigate, there's some very simple things they should do. We've never invested in the technology that allows nurses to actually pick up shifts when and where they want to work, empowering better float pool and per diem services within their systems. We know that 80% of women, when they have their first baby as a nurse, do not come back full time. 80%, this is a national statistic, but we've never adopted technology solutions to empower those nurses to keep working. We just allow them to churn. So one of the first things that hospital executives should be doing is looking at technology that can support their per diem and float pools better because it exists. Giving more flexibility to this nursing workforce means that that's one of their number one issues because they feel like their life is more out of control working for the hospital system when they work for you than they are when they're actually thinking, I'm going to leave and become a truck driver, which we've been hearing nurses are doing. So the reality, one, if we go through better flexibility, technology that can empower nurses to work when and where they want, scaling their float and per diem is one way. And then two, by bringing forward nurses to allow to innovate around the problems that they see as problems will solve many of your biggest issues that are your biggest staff complaints that you would be very well unaware of. But two, you can do these things called reverse pitch events, which say that you want to tackle falls or CAUTI scores or readmissions or bed throughput or length of stay. And you put that problem out to your front line and you say, how would you solve it? And almost nine out of 10 experiences that I have witnessed is that frontline comes away with some of the most practical, simple solutions to solve these problems. That if we simply listened to those who day in and day out live the dysfunction, they are the ones to solve it. And that is why I think if you're asking, what should healthcare executives be doing? It's for the first time. It's what all the big tech companies learned really quickly and really fast, which was when they developed the UI and UX experience, for their end user, and they listened to the end user, that is why their company scaled to multiples unlike anything we've ever seen from valuation perspectives. But we in healthcare keep spending more with less return because we've stopped listening to the front line, or maybe we never listened to them at all. And if you simply reverse that power structure, you, list, you reverse the top-down approach and you go from the bottom-up approach, I think you're going to find tremendous outcomes, change that ability for us to be able to operate in healthcare and allow us to actually address this labor workforce issue that has literally pitted the executive team against the front line. And the only bridge that I've seen between the two is meeting in the middle where they can drive innovation, conversation, and a feeling of listening, being heard and empowered through a shared process of improvement. Well, Rebecca, I wanted to stay on this technology challenge for a little bit longer here. You mentioned uh, some of the innovations that can take place to, to really empower nurses. And I'm also thinking about where technology can be leveraged to really catalyze value-based care adoption. I mean, you know, clearly we need interdisciplinary team-based care that spans the brick and mortar of the, the clinic or the hospital setting. And a lot of times activating technology and meeting patients where they are in communities and homes, looking at remote patient monitoring and patient engagement tools and biometrics and wearables are, are an opportunity to collect data, understand social barriers, perform a lot of the necessary upstream interventions that are going to improve outcomes with chronic disease. 
cities and and you can't help but think about you know, historically how we've rolled out technology and healthcare. If you ask most nurses, I'm I'm sure you could attest to this. You ask them about a specific technology that's been implemented, and they actually say that it's added more administrative tasks for them, and it's uh, hindered their workflow, and it's created an environment that perhaps maybe even contributes to the propensity of more medical errors and further burden in terms of barriers to them being able to improve patient care. And, you know, I'm just thinking with this value-based care movement, as we're navigating the changing landscape and we're recognizing the full potential of, of technology, you know, where do you think nurses can be in terms of being on the, on the leading edge of the conversations to embrace a lot of the new technologies so that we can develop and collaborate collectively on a, a technology infrastructure solution that isn't one that's just picked by executives, but it's one that's truly going to unleash the the power of interdisciplinary care and nursing and, and improve health in, in those in our communities. Well, I think that if you're looking, all of us have wounds and scars from our days of technology rolls out as nurses, because uh, very few people ever asked us. And all the time uh, when technology rolls out, they always told us as a nurse, uh, this is going to create less work for you. And I tell you, in any nursing conference that I speak at, I ask how often that it actually created less work for the nurses when they rolled out new technology. And very rarely, if ever, um, is there a resounding yes that something was positive. Now, there has been some exceptions to that rule, but the vast majority of technologies never rolled out to make less work for the nurse. And in fact, I was at a panel at HLTH um, a few months ago with a good colleague of mine who runs innovation at Mass General Hospital at Heum Nadell. And she pulled out a piece of paper that used to be eight by 12. And she said, this used to be the amount of work a nurse had to do uh, on a, an admission. And then she rolled out a six foot piece of paper and she said, and this is now the amount of work a nurse has to do on a, a mission. So what we have done to nurses over the course of the last decade is we've never trimmed the trees. And all these technologies that rolled out, we're like, well, you know, somebody has to implement it. Oh, simply we'll give it to the nurse. But they never eliminated something else for the nurse today. So, so now nurses are managing millions of dollars of highly complex technology every day from IV pumps to wound things to suction to EHRs to uh, medication administration systems to, so, uh, to uh, behavioral analysis technologies and apps and techno everything along those lines. Very few integrate well and all of them require the nurse to do one more thing. So if we want to address this problem, the truth is, is we must bring back in the role of the chief nurse informaticist officer in all of our healthcare systems. Nurses must be brought forward to be part of that conversation and table to evaluate all of the technology in which is being rolled out into their system. And in all honesty, the old idea of actual democracy of voting approval would do leaps and bounds to actually find adoption and well exceeds the need for actual pressure that we've been forcing on our nurses. So I think if we're gonna look at solving these issues, we also have to recognize that there are some barriers to the technology, that some of the best technology that is out there is being limited by the FDA in some situations because of this digital contract that they're trying to say that even though it's 98% effective at being able to predict sepsis, there's that 2% that might be missed. So the systems refuse to take that ownership, but we know for a fact that physicians are probably only 70% effective at identifying all of the risk factors. So I think there is some larger conversation that has to be looking at what systems could technology actually implement to be earlier markers of changes of status or disease states or worsening conditions for our patients and understanding that digital contract and an input. But more importantly, I think the answer to all of this is if you're a business in healthcare, and you're developing technology and you want to sell it into hospitals or healthcare systems, if you do not have nurses on your team, if you do not have a nurse on your executive team, you're likely missing a significant portion of information, evidence, knowledge, and research that is absolutely necessary to deliver technology that is going to sustain the nursing workforce, not continue to burn them out. So 
bring in a CNIO, make sure there's a chief nursing officer or chief clinical officer who is a nurse at all of the healthcare organizations in the country. And I think we can alleviate much of the burnout that we've caused, and more importantly, the trauma that we've caused nurses due to the past technical rollouts that have existed in this country across healthcare that is leading to many more clinicians burning out because it's preventing them from doing their job, which is actually caring for the patients that they've been put there to care for. Rebecca, I couldn't agree more. You know, you've been speaking to some major paradigm shifts that need to happen. And one of those that just stands out to me is this leadership dynamic. We've got to change so that we can elevate the voice of the nurse. So the nurses are recognized as the experts of their profession, their scope and practice. And we need more champions to help ensure that nurses are sitting at the table, so to speak, when policies are being discussed, when investments are being made, uh, when problems are being discussed and solutions are being designed. We're going to need people who are willing to call out the empty chair that should be filled with a nurse when they're in that room of other stakeholders. And once that chair is filled, to ensure that nurses are not being spoken at, but they're being engaged with. Another thing that we'll need to have occur in the profession is for nurses to become more politically involved. I want to think about how we can actually take today's conversation and use it to catalyze change. I think about what will come about if the nursing profession can be mobilized to create a unified force that can bring about nurse-led innovation to improve care delivery, promote value-based care, ultimately eliminate healthcare disparities. As a nurse leader and innovator, how do you think we should, as an industry and as a society, get nurses more involved in the political arena to reshape healthcare? Oh my gosh, Dan, actually there is a group that's doing this. It's called Healing Politics and it's run by a group of nurses who believe that more nurses who would be in office would be the most fundamental, important thing that we could do to change the entire dynamic and understanding of the nursing profession. And there is actually uh, some statistics out there that shows that nurses are very effective uh, leaders because they remember the empathy, they understand the healthcare, but they also are incredible builders of bridges between different parties to find a middle ground based in our humanity. So I absolutely believe more nurses should be running for office and be trained in that. The one thing that is our biggest barrier in nursing is that when we go to nursing school, nobody ever taught us anything about business or strategy or operation or finance. In fact, most of those were really considered dirty words or negative. And if you became proficient in them, you were actually seen as going to the dark side. And that's something we fundamentally have to change in nursing education. We have to start training nurses to be able to speak to the language of business. Because if we can't make a financial argument, if we can't speak beyond I think, I feel, I believe, the reality is, as many people see our statements as empty or non-productive. So we need to first step back to education, start giving our nurses in nursing school business education, start training them about the importances of actually, one, voting, two, participating as active participants in greater conversations around policy. Because honestly, the way that much policy is written, and even what we're witnessing today, I was shocked to see what was going on on the health committee where the only people who often were being having seats at the table were nursing academics, but not many of the chief nursing officers who are running healthcare systems. And now this is a problem because the way that we're gonna translate the data is going to be absolutely imperative on those nurses who can deliver the data across all spectrums in which are being advocated for. And having nurses actually sit on the policy side or in positions of elected office is one of the best ways to actually drive this change and give nurses more of a seat. In fact, there's only one nurse on MedPAC. MedPAC is the organization that actually guides Medicare changes in policy. Her name's Betty Ramber, an incredibly smart and intelligent woman who's already been trying to work for decades to unpack the economic impact that nurses play within healthcare. And these are the kind of roles and positions that we need more nurses in. So what I would ask for our current politicians is if, if you are establishing locations within your healthcare ecosystem for your state, you make sure that there are nurses not only from your academic centers, but also from those that are actually working in the field of, of the front lines or in our, our healthcare institutions to have a seat at the table. And also the truth is, is that if we're going to drive forward change, what I always say about nurse-led innovation is that nurses innovate because they have seen a problem that is either killing people or it is killing the profession. 
So they innovate to save patients' lives. There is no truer innovator in healthcare than nurses because when they are standing there and something is failing them, it means it is failing the patient who cannot solve because this process is not working well. And I think one thing that we forget is in the height of COVID, everybody ran for the doors. You might not be aware of this, but there were very few doctors that stayed in hospitals in the midst of COVID. It was all nurses. Everything we knew about healthcare failed in COVID. And so nurses were innovating on the front lines to save patients' lives every single moment. And we trusted in them at that time. And if it hadn't been for them showing up every single day, millions more patients would have died. But it was the nurses who started to put the tubing on the outside of the room. It was the nurses who started flipping patients over on their stomachs because they couldn't breathe when they were sitting in high fallers. It was the nurses who started using technology to communicate differently. It was the nurses who circumvented supply chain systems to actually create new supply chains to support their healthcare system stay operating. It was the nurses who set up all of the COVID hospitals. And somehow we have left COVID and we have rolled back all of the advancements, the experiences, and their leadership because we simply put them back into just being a nurse. But if it wasn't for them, none of us here would be standing here today talking about the nursing pandemic and the nursing shortage because simply there would be so few of us left or untouched by that pandemic if it hadn't simply been that we trusted in the nurses. And that is one thing about nursing. It is the most trusted profession of every other profession in the world, and they deserve it every day long. And so my question to you is this, if we have always trusted nurses, why are we not trusting in them now to hear them, to trust them, into being able to build the system they need to sustain their workforce, to sustain healthcare, and to sustain our communities who need access to that healthcare, which, in my opinion, could be a great place to trust them, to put them into office, and trust that they will save the future of healthcare for our nation. Well, Rebecca, you make a compelling case. I mean, nurses have to be there to lead this transformation, uh, to create sustainability and improved healthcare outcomes in our communities. And I can't help but think about this uh, new era of nurse-led innovation and how it parallels the prior era, you know, of Florence Nightingale and what she did. I mean, she challenged the conventions and the status quo of medical practice. I mean, she officially led medicine out of the dark ages of practice and forever fundamentally changed the future of science, history, and medicine with the establishment of the profession of nursing. And I can't help but think of the dark ages that we're in now with our healthcare system. And we need the same kind of revolution when it comes to nurse-led innovation. And as a internationally recognized nurse innovator, you're really in an important driver's seat here. And, and your personal story about how you embraced nurse innovation to me is such an inspiration. I mean, I heard you speak once about the hackathon that you attended. You referenced it briefly earlier in, in your comments, and that really changed your life in the way that you approached uh, the profession of nursing. And that experience led to a calling to inspire, educate, and elevate nurses as innovators and entrepreneurs. Can you share a bit of your personal story and how you discovered your passion to empower nurses and create communities to help nurses innovate, create, and collaborate to start businesses and inventions to transform healthcare? And then what are some of the industry exemplars out there that might be leaders in nurse-led innovation that some of our listeners can look to? Yeah, Eric, I mean, it wasn't very long ago that I was, I had a struggling startup, a job board that my mom had given me her nursing retirement to start this job board because at the time... I was a community college professor in 2013 at a school in Boston, and my students were graduating and they couldn't find nursing jobs. And they were told if they graduated as a nurse, they would always have a job. But in 2013, hospitals in Boston weren't hiring associate degree nurses. And at the time I was a hospice nurse practitioner and I was seeing a patient one morning and 
I left to her house because she wanted to die at home and they, she couldn't find care to keep, keep her at home. And when and met with a group of my nursing students who had graduated with me in December, three months before that, and they were in my office desperate for a job. And that was when I had my idea for starting that job board. But like all good nurses, we wanted to solve a problem, but nobody ever taught me anything about business and how to make money and why that was important. I just thought if I started a job board, I could help people find nurses and those who wanted to hire them and connect with them. And so I was running long and hard at that in 2015. I was ready to shut down the business. I had three young kids. I had no idea how to make money. And I ran into a friend of mine and I told him about starting this company and how I had to shut it down. And he said, well, you know, Rebecca, you really need to go to this hackathon. And uh, like you've heard me say before, I've said, Nick, what is this hackathon? And he said, three-day event where people of different backgrounds come together, put out problems, create teams, and over the course of the weekend, they come up with a solution. And I remember if any of you guys that are listening, being a young mother with three little kids, working as a nurse, the idea of leaving for a weekend and getting your husband to support that still felt a little risky to me, but it happened. And I went and um, and attended this hackathon at one of the hospital systems in Boston for a weekend. And I remember I walked into the room and everybody was there. Like the chief executive officer of the hospital was there. All these physicians, all of the healthcare startup CEOs were in this room. And it was this gorgeous conference ballroom that I had never seen at the hospital before. And I walked around the room and quickly realized that I was the only nurse in that room. And I remember thinking in that moment, oh my gosh, I'm not supposed to be here. This is where the decision makers are. I'm not supposed to be here as a nurse. And I remember that moment so clearly in my head because I literally started sweating, thinking to myself, if imposter syndrome had ever hit me, it hit me hard in the face at that moment. And I took me everything of all courage that I had to stay. Because as soon as people found out I was nurse, they actually didn't ask me to leave, which was what I thought was going to happen. Because as a floor nurse in most other meetings, as soon as you walked in and said you were the nurse, you would often be dismissed from the conversations with the healthcare executives or physicians within the hospital system. So what happened was, is I joined a team and we started building to this project. And now there was a physician, an engineer, several you know uh, incredible people on our team. And I remember the door opened and in walked the CEO of the hospital system. And he sat down at the table in the seat next to me. And we start describing the problem that we're going to solve. And the doctor is talking about, here's the problem and here's the solution. And I am squirming in the seat next to me. And I finally speak up and I was like, that's never going to work. That's not how it works on the floor. The nurses would never do it that way. And in fact, if we did it that way, it would simply create more work for nurses and we would just not do it. And the physician stopped short and the CEO looks at me and he goes, well, why didn't I know that's how it worked on the hospital floor? And I looked at them and I said, well, have you asked the nurses? And they both started laughing. So I started laughing and I thought to myself, I'm not sure what was funny until I realized what they thought was funny was that the idea was that they never thought to actually talk to the nurses about the problem. But as the weekend went on, everybody learned that there was a nurse there. So everybody was seeking me out. Everybody was like, Rebecca, would this work? Could the nurses do it this way? Is that how you operate the equipment on that? Is this how patient discharge goes? And suddenly I felt brilliant. I had never felt brilliant before as a nurse. In any of my experiences, often when I offered up my advice as a floor nurse, I was told that's great, but could you just work Saturday for us? I've never felt heard. And over the course of that weekend, not only did I engage so positively with so many people, but I learned more about the business of healthcare in one weekend than I had learned in three years of trying to build a company. So I left that event, started to study the environment of healthcare hackathons, talking to all of the organizers, calling them and saying, do you have any nurses at your hackathons? And they said, well, you know, now that you mention it, very few attend, but actually a lot of teams who win have nurses on them. So I suddenly hypothesized that nurses had the practical knowledge by which to create great healthcare solutions and there had to be a nurse hackathon. 
And that's what we built to at that time. I started calling nursing schools around the country until I connected with Dr. Hanrahan in 2015 at Northeastern University. I told him the story, the story that I just told you guys. And she said, Rebecca, next year, I'm going to run a summit on innovation and entrepreneurship. Why don't you run a hackathon? And now you have to understand at that time in 2015, if you look in all the research, there might have been a couple articles that mentioned nurse, innovator, and entrepreneur in the same article, but none in the same sentence. Everybody thought nurse innovation was simply a fad. So we built to that event with a team of volunteers wondering if anybody would come. And she said to me, called me two weeks before the event, and she said, Rebecca, the event is sold out. Every major hospital in Boston is sending a team of nurses. And she said, I can't just introduce nurses to the idea of innovation entrepreneurship. I want you to come on and build the first nurse innovation program in the country. And so that's what we did. And in two years time, we took nurse innovation to being the top SEO searchable term around nursing in, in the country. Johnson & Johnson pivoted their 15-year campaign of thanking nurses to recognizing nurse innovation as the future of what they believed could stabilize the nursing profession. And the rest is really history. And I always say, if it hadn't been for that hackathon, I would never have believed in myself or the profession in the way that I did after it. Because it taught me one thing about nursing. It taught me that we have the practical knowledge and experience that if people simply listen to us, if they simply allowed us to innovate, we could solve the problems at scale that healthcare is experiencing. And it gave us a voice, a voice in a way that I had never had a voice. And that's why every day since, I fought long and hard to keep pushing forward nurses, to believe in themselves as innovators and entrepreneurs and leaders because I don't think there's going to be anybody else who can save healthcare. Rebecca, I can't help but just love your passion. And I'm sure our listeners are just uh, blown away as I am right now. I want to wrap up our conversation today um, by asking you to share some more principles. You've shared so many great principles so far. And the next one is really tied to a personal story of yours. When you were in college, you survived a shipwreck. The boats sank in the middle of the ocean, in the middle of the night, in a storm. You were faced with insurmountable odds, and not unlike our nurses who are out there on the verge of collapse from sheer exhaustion. Can you provide us with that life lesson that you learned in that night and how that has uh, governed your life ever since? And for those nurses out there listening to this podcast, they're suffering and, and facing these challenges that they don't know that they can overcome. What parting thoughts can you leave with them about not only surviving, but thriving? You guys really did your homework. I did. I survived a shipwreck in the middle of the night, holding on to a life raft as the life raft had sprung a hole and propping my brother up between me and the bottom of that life raft. And the life lesson I learned that night as I remember the helicopter going over for us, what I knew had to be the last time was that there's really only one thing in life that you have control over, and that's yourself. That in the face of the greatest odds, when everything that you experience takes you to one moment where you have to literally choose in that moment between if you're going to survive or not, you got to bet on yourself. And you got to do everything you can to get through that moment and believe that you're going to get out of it. Because at all moments in life, we are all going to face something that we think we're not going to live through. And it comes down to your mindset, comes down to believing you will. And so to all the nurses that are listening and all the people that are out there, what I can say to you is that, and Eric mentioned Florence Nightingale. She had a quote that I think also inspires me to this day, which is, the world will never reach anything better if there was not those who were discontented. And what that's always meant to me is in the darkest moments, 
is the opportunity for the greatest change in yourself or in the world. So believe in that. And you are going to make it through and you will make a difference, but don't let somebody else define it for you. Because if you look to other people to lead you in those moments, they likely won't, is what I realized. And so one last thing, Florence Nightingale in 1880 started writing in her journals that it was going to take 150 years for the world to recognize the kind of nursing in which she envisioned for the world. So that's in the 2030s. So we're coming up to that time of the world when Florence Nightingale predicted it was going to be the nursing renaissance. And so if I can say anything to everybody out there listening, is that it's nurses time. And if we believe in ourselves against all odds, because we've all faced them before, the truth is we're gonna come out stronger and better with more hope and more belief in humanity and in overcoming insurmountable odds than we've ever believed before. So that is what I would leave you guys with. And it has been such a pleasure, Eric and Dan, speaking with you. Um, and thank you for all of this opportunity. Thank you, Rebecca. This has been an immense pleasure. Uh, we greatly appreciate your leadership and share your optimism for the future. I mean, it, it is a bright one and firmly believe that a nursing renaissance will be a driving force to reimagine our healthcare system in this race to value. Yeah, Rebecca, wow, thank you. What a fantastic conversation. Really love your insights. Well, Dan and Eric, I have to tell you, thank you for being nurse champions, for having this conversation and getting it out and actually uncovering some of the really dark statistics and addressing and allowing us to talk about them. I often hear from people that perhaps sometimes the things that I address actually are driving people out from nursing. And I keep thinking, if we keep sticking our head in the sand and pretending that none of this is going on, we're not doing ourselves a service. So I appreciate you taking this time to amplify and discuss some of the most challenging issues of our time, but really with the spirit that we're going to come through it by addressing them and coming out stronger on the other side of it for it.